Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. I've spent several weeks talking about Roman Catholic Mass, and today, in just one episode only, I will talk about the Roman Catholic priest. Now, the reason that this will only take one episode is because the priest and Mass are connected very, very tight in Roman Catholicism, so a lot about uh, Mass and and its views on it being a, a type of a sacrifice, all that sort of ties into what the priest does. Now, from a Roman Catholic priest in a very popular book, it's John O'Brien is the priest. He wrote a book called The Faith of Millions, and so a pro-Catholic source here. Uh, a Roman Catholic priest says this about the priesthood. When the priest announces the tremendous words of consecration, he reaches up into the heavens, brings Christ down from his throne, and places him upon our altar to be offered up again as the victim for the sins of man. It is a power greater than that of saints and angels, greater than that of seraphim and cherubim. Indeed, it is greater even than the power of the Virgin Mary. While the Blessed Virgin was the human agency by which Christ Christ became incarnate a single time, the priest brings Christ down from heaven and renders him present on our altar as the eternal victim for the sins of man, not once, but a thousand times. The priest speaks, and lo, Christ, the eternal and omnipotent God, bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. Of what sublime dignity is the office of the Christian priest who is thus privileged to act as the ambassador and the vice-regent of Christ on earth? He continues the essential ministry of Christ. He teaches the faithful with the authority of Christ. He pardons the penitent sinner with the power of Christ. He offers up again the same sacrifice of adoration and atonement which Christ offered on Calvary. No wonder that the name which spiritual writers are especially fond of applying to the priest is that of Altar Christus, for the priest is and should be another Christ." End quote. By the way, Altar Christus is translated another Christ. So that is what Roman Catholic priests think of themselves. And so today we're going to talk about you know, is the Roman Catholic priesthood actually taught in the Bible? Now, the Roman Catholic claim is this in the Council of Trent, session 22, there's some canons towards the end, and canon two reads this way If anyone saith that by those words, do this for the commemoration of me, Christ did not institute the apostles' priest, or did not ordain that they and other priests should offer his own body and blood, let him be anathema. So basically, this is the this is the Roman Catholic scriptural support for the priesthood. It is simply the at the Last Supper, Jesus said, do this in commemoration of me. That's how they've translated it here at the Council of Trent, or do this or this do in remembrance of me. And so that they're using that to justify all of their claims about the the Roman Catholic priesthood and and what they should do. Now, that's session 22. In session 23 of the Council of Trent, the, the first paragraph there of session 23 says this, "...sacrifice and priesthood are, by the ordinance of God, in such wise conjoined as that they both have existed in every law. Whereas, therefore, in the New Testament, the Catholic Church has received from the institution of Christ the holy visible sacrifice of the Eucharist. It must needs also be confessed that there is in that church a new visible and external priesthood, 
into which the old has been translated. Now, right there, I want to stop the quote right there. Into which the old has been translated. So I'm going to talk about this later, but basically Roman Roman Catholics are saying that the Old Testament priesthood has been translated into the New Testament priesthood, and, and they're claiming that it is the Roman Catholic priesthood, this new, visible, and external priesthood into which the old has been translated. So keep that in mind. Now, I'm continuing the quote here, session 23, first paragraph from the Council of Trent. And the sacred scriptures show, and the tradition of the Catholic Church has always taught that this priesthood was instituted by the same Lord our Savior, and that to the apostles and their successors in the priesthood was the power delivered of consecrating, offering, and administering his body and blood, as also of forgiving and of retaining sins. So they've said that the the Old Testament priest, that has been transformed or translated into this new priesthood and it is new visible and and external so, you know so we can we can see it we can interact with these priests so that's what they're saying they're saying and that the sacred scriptures show this and that the catholic church has always taught this and and remember the catholics claim that their church goes all the way back to jesus and his apostles so we should we should hear about this Roman Catholic priesthood and all the the stuff that comes with it there, we should hear this from the very beginning according to the Council of Trent. And so, again, keep that in mind, and is that the case in the New Testament? Now, Canon 1 from Session 23 of the Council of Trent says this, If anyone saith that there is not in the New Testament a visible and external priesthood, or that there is not any power of consecrating and offering the true body and blood of the Lord, and of forgiving and retaining sins, but only an office and bare ministry of preaching the gospel, or that those who do not preach are not priests at all, let him be anathema. So again, here we have it, let him be anathema. So this is not just the Roman Catholic opinion, uh, this is anathema. You are excommunicated from the church if you do not hold to these things. And and, and remember, here in this canon, they're not just saying tradition teaches us this. They are saying that the New Testament teaches of this visible and external priesthood. That is a very bold claim. So let me just read that first sentence again. Canon 1, session 23 of the Council of Trent. If anyone saith that there is not in the New Testament a visible and external priesthood, and then it continues, let him be anathema. So is the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church found in the New Testament. Now, my main argument today is, given the massive emphasis on the priesthood in the Roman Catholic Church, why is the New Testament teaching on priests essentially absent? So there are specific sections in the New Testament on church leadership and church order, how to conduct things in the church. There is nothing about priest as defined by the Roman Catholic Church. So the the priesthood in Roman Catholicism, in, in my opinion, is an obvious deviation from Scripture, and it cannot be found exegetically. So I have talked about these two terms before, exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is is looking to the scripture first, seeing what the scripture says, and what you believe comes out of what scripture says. Eisegesis is having a certain set of beliefs in mind, and then looking into scripture and trying to find some places where we can possibly insert our 
already held beliefs into scripture. That would be eisegesis, and that's what I'm accusing Roman Catholics of doing. Now, a massive resource for me on this topic here is a debate by James White and Mitch Pacwa. So Mitch Pacwa was a, a priest, and they, they did a debate on the Roman Catholic priesthood. And now, I've mentioned, you know, I love listening to debates, and James White is my hero debater. I mean, he's just excellent in debates, so I've, I've listened to, I think, all of them at this point. But... Um, anyway, in this debate, sometimes in the debates, I'm like, okay, you know, the other side is is making that's a good argument there. I can see where they're coming from. In this debate here, uh, it is so one sided. I mean, James White can just simply stick to the Bible. It's it just it's so easy for him in this debate. It seems like, and then Mitch Pacwa is is all over the place in trying to come up with some sort of justification for the Roman Catholic priesthood. And so I, I I'll link it in the resources. But I just want to go ahead and tell you, if you listen to this debate after listening to this episode, you'll be like, dude. He, I mean, I even even the quote that I read from from the Faith of Millions by John O'Brien, James White uses because it's just such a solid argument that he lays out. It's easily seen in Scripture that the the Roman Catholic priesthood is just not there. And so that's what we'll talk about today. Now, if you ever have any questions for me, you can email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com, or you can message me on Instagram at the real. Bear Martin. And A Bear in the Woods is a special section of the show where I answer questions about life. And here's today's question Bear, do you spank your kids? Is there ever a time you regretted that? Well, that is a great question. I know this can be a sensitive topic for some parents, but I do spank my kids. I got spanked as I, when I was a kid. And sometimes I think it's the best way to create a memory in time right there, which makes the child remember and, and think twice next time about disobeying or acting a certain way. Now, I, I, one of my favorite memories looking back as a kid is I remember one time in church, my friend and I were sitting beside one another and we were misbehaving and, and being loud. And so both of our dads, we, we were like sitting maybe a few rows in front of our parents. We, we were just old enough where we could kind of sit by ourselves. And so both of our dads get up and like escort us out of the church right down the center aisle at the same time and we both got weapons on opposite sides of the church steps so <laughs> so that's a great memory uh, don't don't act up in church kids anyway um, now as far as regretting spanking my kids I do have one time I regretted that uh, I'm pretty sure it was my oldest daughter because let's be honest that's the only child that we ever really discipline anyway but um, the, the younger ones just they get get away with a lot more anyway my oldest daughter hit her sister and I caught her right in the act I like turned the corner and and I see her hitting her sister. And so like any wonderful parent, I snatched her up and I gave her a spanking and my hand landed on her backside with each word I spoke. And I said, I was like, you will not hit your sister. <laughs> and, and so she looked up at me and her eyes, they weren't teary as I expected. They, they weren't sad or shamed. It was a look of confusion. And hopefully you can figure out why. If not, go back and listen to this part again. Thank you. 
In the New Testament, there are two distinct church offices mentioned. So Philippians 1.1, Paul says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So those are the two church offices mentioned in the New Testament, overseers and deacons. Now, in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13, Paul gives qualifications for these two offices, overseer and deacon. Now, as a side note, let me read 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and then the you know it, it keeps on listing out the qualifications of this overseer. Now, you know if you know anything about Catholicism, you probably know where I'm going with this. It says that an overseer should be the husband of one wife. Now, I, I don't think that this this that interpreting this verse means that. A, an overseer in the church has to be married. So, we, you know, some people may, may take it that way. That's okay. But what is extremely clear is that there is not a restriction on being married. And so the majority of Roman Catholic priests take a vow of celibacy. Now, Roman there are some Roman Catholic priests who are married. If they convert from another religion and they're already married, the, the uh, Roman Catholicism allows them to stay married. And then certain, like the Eastern Rite in in, in um, the Catholic Church, they some of their priests are married. And so it's not a an absolute necessity that you cannot be married, but it is in general. A, a you know it, it's expected that you're going to take a vow of celibacy. So again, not a dogma or doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. So it would be more of a tradition, like with a small t tradition. Um, and and so Roman Catholic priests will say, well, we are married. We're married to the church. We've we've dedicated ourselves to the church and to to honoring God. But um, but there certainly in this passage where Paul lays out the qualifications of an overseer, he says the husband of one wife. It's in fact it's one of the the first things that he mentions. And so in no way here should there be a restriction on getting married. Now I've I've talked to some Catholics who have a problem with priests taking a vow of celibacy because here here is a a man who's supposed to teach the people and and be a guide for them and yet they you know they they don't they're not married so they don't have kids and so they, there's there's just not a way that they can relate in some aspects of life so i've heard from some catholics that just have always kind of had a problem with going to their priest about things that the priest has never had to experience before anyway now because it's not a dogma or doctrine i, I don't i don't really want to go down that road and and argue one way or the other, but I just wanted to point that out, that it certainly is not restricting marriage when we talk about the qualifications of an overseer. Now, uh, this word overseer and deacon, those two offices of the church, um, I'm going to spend a lot of time on overseer, and I'm basically going to ignore deacon because this, this word overseer is where we get a lot of the Catholic priest claims and stuff like that. Now, the first thing that you have to understand is the word overseer bishop, elder, and pastor in the New Testament are all used interchangeably. That that's the you know that's certainly not what Catholics would say, but 
Um, I, I'm going to show from Scripture where the overseer, bishop, elder, pastor, they are all just thought of as this general um, office. And so there's only two offices, overseer and deacon. Now, let's talk about those different words. So elder, the word elder is from the Greek word presbyteros, the word for overseer. And, and also overseer is sometimes in, in some translations translated bishop. So overseer and bishop are the are come from the exact same Greek word, which is episkopos. So elder is presbyteros, bishop or overseer. Again, exact same thing, just depends on the translation. Comes from episkopos. Now, Catholics will want to try to split these two into different offices. So they'll say elder or presbyteros, that is where we get the word priest from, and a priest is over a parish. So a a parish in Catholicism, just think of like one single church, okay? One church building, one, one parish. Now, they'll say overseer or bishop is is he oversees a group of parishes, and that's where we get the, the Catholic word diocese from. And so a, a bishop is over multiple priests, over multiple parishes. And so they'll they'll try to split these up. It is they are two distinct Greek words, but it but I'm gonna argue here in a second that it's but they're they're two words that mean the same office. It's just different ways of describing them. Now, another word that I need to to point out here is the word for pastor. And so in Greek, that word is poimen, and I'm going to show you where that comes up in a verse in a second. But uh, it's from, pastor is from the Latin word pastor. And so that's that's where we get that. So um, elder, bishop, overseer, and pastor, all the same thing. In, in regards to the New Testament. Different Greek words, but it's talking about the same office. So, so why do I believe this? Uh, let me show you. Acts 20, verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and that, that is Paul, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And so Paul is calling the elders, the presbyteros, he's calling them in and he's going to address them. So that's in Acts 20, 17. Now, in his address, you just read down, I'm kind of skipping skipping by, and I'm going to read Acts 20, verse 28. So in this same address where Paul is addressing the elders, the presbyteros, he says this, and usually I use the ESV, but this is from the um, New American Standard Bible because it translates the, the word pastor or, or shepherd. It translates that literally, and so that's why I'm using this translation here just for this verse. All right, Acts 20, 28. Paul is addressing the elders. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's episkopos. To shepherd, that's poimen, or or the verb, the verb form of that, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he's addressing elders. He says, The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to pastor or to shepherd the church of God. So here we have all of those words all used together for the same group of people. And so they that so so the the office of overseer, bishop, elder, pastor it's the same thing. It's just different words that describe, you know, different aspects of what that office does. So there's 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 overlap of these terms and I've showed that from this passage here in Acts 20. Now, again, I'm kind of skipping over the, the deacon part of it. So there's overseers and deacons. Now, in the, in the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church, 
it is the the word priest as it relates to a Roman Catholic priest, that concept is missing from the New Testament. And it's not like it, it would be hard for the, the apostles to write this in the New Testament if there was a priesthood as Rome as the Roman Catholic Church claims. The word for priest is a familiar word. It's used all over the New Testament. It is hierus, and it, there is one that's that's the Greek word, and there's one verse in the in the Greek Old Testament and New Testament that I can use to to show you where this word comes up. It's Hebrews seven seventeen. That's the New Testament, but in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm one ten four in the Old Testament, and in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's it's the same same word here. So let me read that verse. For it is witnessed of him. You are a, this is talking about Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the, the word, the, the general word for priest that's used all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament in the Greek, hierus, is used here talking about Jesus. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So I have a Bible program called Lagos Bible Software. I love it. It's great for Bible study, and it allows me to search Greek words specifically or Hebrew words or or English words too. I can see every place in the Bible where that word is mentioned in its various forms, all that stuff. So I search for priest or priesthood. Anytime priest or priesthood comes up in the New Testament, I, I was able to read through those verses. So there's a bunch of them, and there are three main categories. Sometimes it is a reference back to the Old Testament priest. Sometimes that that word is used to describe Jesus specifically. He is our great high priest. And then sometimes the word priest or priesthood is used to describe all believers. So that that those are the three categories. There's never this distinct group of of special Christians leaders that are called priests. Now, there are some Christian leaders that I mean or the Christian leaders are called elders or overseers um, or pastors, but they're never there's never a specific group that are called priests like like you have in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, of all the mentions of priest or priesthood in the New Testament, there's those three categories, and then there was one outlier, Paul in Romans 15 verses 15 through 16 says this, "But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So this is not, Paul is not referring to himself or his office as a a priest in some way, in the way Roman Catholic priests do things. Paul is not talking about offering up the body and blood of Jesus Christ. What is he offering? He's offering Gentiles to God. So it's it's almost a Paul is a let me let me give you this verse Romans 12:1 I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. So Paul after he is saved after he's converted 
he his you could describe his life as a living sacrifice. He underwent so much. And so he is saying that the the Gentiles, he said, I'm a missionary to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles that that he shares the gospel with, that turn to Christ, he is essentially saying in this verse, I'm offering them up to the Lord as a, a, a as a spiritual type of sacrifice. Like, Lord, I am I am giving my life to share the gospel with the Gentiles. So this is this is a far from the you know. Uh, being a support for the Roman Catholic priesthood. So those are all the mentions of priest or priesthood in the New Testament. So there again, there is no description of the Roman Catholic priesthood in, in the entire New Testament. And, and remember, Paul writes specifically about church organization. So he he lists out the qualifications for overseers and deacons. He never mentions the the any kind of Roman Catholic priesthood. He he even talks about the Lord's Supper. Again, that's where the Roman Catholics get the idea, you know, that Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of me," and they say, "This right here is where Jesus establishes the priesthood." We never are told that anywhere from Paul or any of the other New Testament writers. It is something that they are they're they're doing eisegesis there. They are taking their own beliefs and then shoving it into Scripture. So, you know, in in the Roman Catholic Church, the Eucharist and the priesthood is they are of immense importance, and yet Paul never mentions it when he's writing all the letters to the church and specifically talking about qualifications for church leadership. I just find it hard to believe that the the constant, you know, universal church all the way back to Jesus and the apostles had such an importance on the priesthood like Roman Catholicism does. Now, remember earlier when I said that the Roman Catholic priesthood is is said by the Council of Trent to replace the Old Testament priesthood? I'll, I'll read that quote again. It's from Session 23. It says, It must needs also be confessed that there is in that church a new, visible, and external priesthood into which the old has been translated. So they're saying that the Roman Catholic priesthood takes the Old Testament priesthood, and now we have a new priesthood in the New Testament, and that's where the Roman Catholic priest come into play. Well, I believe this is completely wrong. There, there are replacements for the Old Testament priest in two ways. One, Jesus replaces the Old Testament priest, and then in another way, all believers replace the Old Testament priest. Remember, when Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn in two. There is access directly to God through the sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ. You don't the before only the high priest of Israel could go into the holy place, the most holy place. Now that veil was torn essentially as a, a symbol of saying, all believers have access to God. We don't have to go through a priest anymore like they did in the Old Testament. So so in two ways, this new this this Old Testament priesthood is um is made different or translated into the New Testament, but I think it's the the Catholic version of it is wrong. So one, how does Jesus replace the Old Testament priest? Let me read Hebrews 7, and this is a, a lengthy passage here, but Hebrews 7, 11 through 27, and I'll make a few comments along the way. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, that's the Old Testament priesthood, for under it the people received the law, 
What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? So he, the, the author of Hebrews is saying, if the Levitical priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood was perfect, if it, if it you know, did everything that we need, then there wouldn't be a need for a different priesthood. But, but obviously there is. And so verse 12 says, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So this priesthood of the Old Testament is going to change into something else. And how is that going to change? That's what he's going to start talking about. Verse 13, for the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. What's being said here is that the priest in the Old Testament were descendants of Aaron. And so, and Jesus was not a descendant of Aaron, and and further back, the the a descendant of Levi from the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus was not a descendant from Levi; he was a descendant of Judah. And so Jesus could not, you know, from from the Old Testament standards, Jesus could not have served as an Old Testament priest. He was from the from the wrong family line. Okay, verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. And so the author of Hebrews is going to start compare or contrasting, really, the Old Testament priesthood versus that of this new priesthood in the New Testament. And so it's saying that the 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 priest in the old testament had to come from the line of levi but now this this new testament priest which is going to be jesus is by the power of an indestructible life and he comes in the likeness of melchizedek now i'm not going to get into the rabbit hole of melchizedek uh, that that'll have to be on a different episode but um just know that melchizedek in in the old testament he is a priest king of salem and he essentially like comes out of nowhere um he doesn't we don't know any of his family line um and we we don't have anything about his death or anything like that so he sort of comes out of nowhere as a as a priest king and so this is sort of a symbol a a type of jesus christ that's what the author of hebrews is is getting at here so he says in, in Hebrews 7, 17, For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For only one hand, a former commandment, is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. The Old Testament priesthood is going to be set aside because it is weak and useless compared to the new. Okay, that's what's going on. Verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So the author of Hebrews is speaking of a transition from the Old Testament priesthood to the new one, and it's going to be a better one. So he's, again, he's contrasting the old with the new, and pay attention to the arguments that the author of Hebrews is making as he's contrasting these two. Verse 20, and it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest, that is, talking about Jesus, this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better 
covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Verse 24, but he, that is Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So in the verses I just read, this new priesthood is opposite or contrasted from the old priesthood in two main ways. The old priesthood had many or multiple priests and they died. Therefore, the new priesthood being contrasted will only have one priest and he will live forever. So is there any way that this can possibly be talking about the, you know, thousands of Catholic priests in the Roman Catholic Church? The only way for Catholics to say, well, you know, all priests are united to Christ and their role is priest, so therefore there is only one true priest. This is reading into the text something which is never presented. It is the clear argument from the author of Hebrews that in contrast to the Old Testament priesthood, they are many in number and they die. But in the New Testament, this new priesthood is one, there's one priest, that is Jesus, and he continues forever. So, so if the, the idea of the Roman Catholic priesthood was so prevalent from the time of Jesus and the apostles, then why would the author of Hebrews, fully knowing all about the Roman Catholic priesthood, why would he make these types of arguments, knowing that there were a bunch of priests out there? Why would he say the old one that's passing away, set aside, has many in number, there's many priests, and they die, but the new priesthood has one priest and he lives forever? This, this would be terrible argumentation if indeed there was the Roman Catholic priesthood, as, as Catholics say, existed at the time of Christ and, and then you know, throughout the, the first century with the apostles. Now, verse 25, consequently, this is talking about Jesus as priest. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, talking about the Old Testament, to offer sacrifices daily, for, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So I think this is a very clear passage that the the old, you know, the, remember the Council of Trent claim that the new visible and external priesthood was a translation from the Old Testament priesthood into this new one of the Roman Catholic Church. I think that's completely false and it's it's proven false by this passage that I've just walked through. Now, the the other I mentioned that you know in the in the New Testament the priesthood of the Old Testament is replaced because Jesus is the one true priest and then in a in a different way all believers replace the Old Testament priests again because the veil was torn so all believers have access to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, let me just give you some verses here. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Priest, the, the role of a priest, the main role of a priest is to offer a sacrifice. And we see that for every priest, you know, throughout the, um, throughout the whole Bible. And so here we have the, the, the New Testament priest 
talking about believers, they are offering up a sacrifice, but are they are they representing the sacrifice of, of Jesus on the cross? No, they are offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's what it's talking about here. We can offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. We can offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So all this sacrificial language doesn't have to mean what the Roman Catholic Church says that it means for, for a priest. In Romans 12, 1, I've already mentioned this verse, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, this is a message to all believers, not just a certain group of priests who offer sacrifice. Paul is saying we're all priests and we all offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. First Peter 2 verses 4 through 5, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then I'll close with this one, a very familiar verse, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light.